Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to another Ruler Magazine tech podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari. I am usually in my garage chatting with you folks uh, here from Colorado, but today, interestingly, I'm not in the garage. I'm not even in Colorado. Uh, I am on the road, and I'm here in Austin, Texas, and why why am I here? (laughs) Mostly to sweat off a few pounds, apparently. It's very hot here. Uh, But, you know, recently, uh, a a new uh, GPS unit arrived at my door, uh, the Hammerhead Carew 2. I had had some experience with the original Carew, so it was really interesting to see the new one uh, and, and do some comparisons. And it got me thinking, you know, with all these GPS units that we all rely on so much, what are the differences as a consumer? How do I know which one's the best? How do I know if a new player in the space has tangible benefits that, that would matter to me? It's, it's not always clear because we look at them and they say, that's a GPS. It does all the things a GPS does. So uh, I wanted to find out. So that's why I hopped a plane. And I I literally just got off the plane a little while ago, came straight here to Jess Brown's house. And Jess, you are the uh, vice president of product at Hammerhead. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, That's that's what I do every day is uh, I think about these very problems you're describing and how people you know, see these different GPS head units in the cycling market, and they're trying to decide, well, what makes them different? Mm -hmm. Why do I need one in the first place? What is the tangible benefit for me? What problem is this solving for me? Yeah, yeah. that's convenient, because I just actually walked down the street knocking on doors. It's not (laughs) even specifically come here. No, I'm kidding, of course. Um, Well, let's let's jump right in, because, uh, you know, I've, I've have it, I've, like many cyclists, I started with a Garmin. And from there, Wahoo came into the space. And, and there's been other competitors along the way. I mean, you know, there's been Sigma and Brighton, all these other ones that have come and sort of haven't been able to really sink their teeth into the space uh, the way Hammerhead is, is seems poised to do. Um, so tell me a little bit about what makes a good GPS head unit and what you guys have packed into the Karoo 2 that sort of sets it apart. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think... Getting into Karoo 2, I think one of the big underlying kind of values or things to understand about Hammerhead is the origin story was always in navigation, right? So previous to Karoo 2, previous to anything with the screen, you know, the the co-founders came together and they saw an opportunity to make it easier to just find your way on a bike, right? Like what is the very like simplest way that you can give someone direction on where to go right and how about we offload that that processing power to a cell phone right so there's a lot of exploration there and you know wahoo did did that in the past too they had had products that that did that similarly um but you know there are definitely some drawbacks to just having you know like basically no screen right just having simple leds and things like that um 
And you've kind of rapidly seen that space kind of change with the pace of the automotive industry, right? And let's, you can't not talk about it, cell phones, right? right. And uh, that mobile, always-on connectivity, right? So now you have consumers that throughout every touch point of their life, in their car, they've got Apple CarPlay or Android, you know, Android uh, Auto, and they're used to these experiences, right? They don't really have to think about what problem is this solving for me anymore? Do I need a GPS head unit on my bike? Well, I have it everywhere else in my life. Why would I not have it right. on my bike? Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty seismic shift that's yeah. happened quite, you know, I would say in the last kind of three to five years where mm-hmm. it's, it's not nice to have anymore. It's an expectation. Mm-hmm. There, you know, you look at kind of younger consumers, people new to the sport, getting jazzed on bikes, as we all all have in our in our storied histories, right? It's why we're here. You know, they they don't pull out maps, right? They don't write cue sheets anymore. Right. We're in a different place, um, and I think the industry has struggled to kind of wrap their heads around that and actually take action on it. Yeah, so, yeah. enter Hammerhead, right? right? Um, that opportunity has been there. The timing of when to get to market, what to bring to market. I mean, it's this perfect storm of that's the problem to solve, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, bring that experience that everyone expects in their day-to-day life to the place where they have fun, right? Mm-hmm. Not where they're doing their job or you know trying to necessarily accomplish a task. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a training ride, something like that. But make it more, you know, m- make it proliferate to the fun parts of your life. Yeah, yeah. Now, what's interesting to me is that the very first uh, experience I had with Hammerhead was uh, it wasn't it didn't have a screen at all. The yep. original uh, piece of equipment it looked like a, a hammerhead. It's a T-shaped thing, yep. and like you said, it has LEDs that would tell you which way to go. Um, and from there, now if you go fast forward from that iteration to right now, they yep. could not be more different. Absolutely. Uh, the 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 Two is uh, color screen touch touchscreen enabled uh as streamlined as it could possibly be now what happened in between (laughs) (laughs) a lot happened in between i will not you know i won't bore you with all of the details but i guess kind of the 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 core kind of foundational thing being is navigation has always been at the heart of anyone that's kind of come into the business and thought about building a product and developing a product um and so the the big difference with Karoo 2 and what we learned in between that, you know, first LED kind of wayfinding device and, you know, screens just are a great way to deliver complex information to a person in a very approachable way, right? Very clear way. Um, and in a way that also allows people to feel more comfortable because you can anticipate, you can kind of see the road ahead, for example, right? When you have LEDs, you're like, well, does this mean this alley or this next turn ahead of me? There's so many different like cognitive inputs that a person, you know, um, I guess interprets and takes into their eyeballs and their brain to make decisions, right? Mm -hmm. There's all these different factors going on. So just helping people eliminate those, right? And make that cognitive load less Mm -hmm. so you know what's happening and you're not just spending all of your effort worried about am i going the right way is there is this a one way is there a pothole is there a bridge is there a bike lane is it safe right mm-hmm. let us take all of that worry away from you so you can get out and just enjoy your ride right like we're going to make sure you're safe we're going to make sure you know which way you're going we're going to make sure I mean, we have all kinds of future ideas right, right. that we're going to make sure uh we don't get in the way of your ride we just make sure you're enjoying it and mm-hmm. feel comfortable with 
with what you're doing. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to put it. Uh, we don't want to get in the way of your ride. And I think there is that is sort of one of the big problems with GPSs, right? It can indeed get in the way of your ride. I mean, how many of us have blown past a turn because the GPS wasn't keeping up or, you know, it was vague which turn we were supposed to take? How does what is Hammerhead doing differently that addresses those sorts of things and makes it more of a streamlined experience that doesn't get in the way of your ride? That's a great question. So we invested early uh, in our own kind of proprietary maps and navigation um, algorithms and kind of data, right? So we also have arguably one of the best map and uh, navigation and routing engineers in in the world. Um, And he's really matured our team and taught basically everyone in the business a lot about foundationally what makes wayfinding and navigating more powerful or maybe actually more successful like what are the inputs that make that reliable um so a lot of that is being able to very very quickly respond right we really keep an eye on our reroute times right so if you do get off of route we can snap you to getting you back on that route faster than any other device. It's mm-hmm. things like that. The load times of these maps, the clarity of the maps, the information that's on them, right? Um, it's really interesting to learn like how often new roads and driveways and infrastructure is built, right? Mm-hmm. I think you you experience your world in your neighborhood and you're like, yeah, nothing seems to really change that much. Um, but when you look at these huge global map uh, data sets, Actually, a lot changes all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are constantly, uh, we update all of the maps, those offline maps on Karoo, at least twice a year, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And we we take on, like, we incur that cost. We take on that, I guess, um, technical effort, right, to do that because we want to make sure that everyone has access to the latest and greatest kind of data sets. And that allows us to do those things I mentioned, like make these algorithms super snappy, right? Mm -hmm. So you can, if you miss that turn, we're going to safely get you back to that turn, right? Um, That's been a big focus of Mm -hmm. ours is to make sure the maps are super responsive and the fastest part of our experience. Mm -hmm. And after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, maps and GPS and why that's such a big, difficult thing to to undertake. But before we do that, talk a little bit about the the physical characteristics of the Karoo 2 and what's built into it, because it it does have some unique features that kind of set it apart from some of its competitors. and I'm not just talking about durability, like if I drop it, it's not going to break. But the, I mean, there are some features there. But talk a little bit about what goes into the whole uh, build and how that translates into user experience. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it starts with that hardware architecture, right? We definitely build Karoo 2 in our products based in the knowledge and the tech stack of mobile phones, right? Consumer electronics, mm-hmm. not necessarily how the industry has generally looked at these types of products and the Internet of Things and wearables. We actually approach it um, as, hey, a phone should not have to be involved in this equation, right? And what's the value to that to a customer? And, you know, we kind of got down this path um, from, you know, the iterations of Karoo 1 and getting into Karoo 2. And, you know, obviously, hardware product development takes time. It's not, you know, a couple months and you get a new product, right? So when we got into the path of Karoo 2, a lot of the understanding at the time where um, even kind of GPS head units were and cell phones were, where, you know, they tethered together. People didn't like that, you know, you're out for a ride and it's draining both your cell phone battery and your GPS head unit battery. Like, then my phone is dead. If I need to make a call, what is the point to all this? Right. 
So there was the deliberate decision to build Karutu in a way that would allow it to be a standalone kind of device that could connect to cellular networks, right? So you can get a SIM card in a Karutu and it will do everything over a, a cellular network that your phone does, right? Mm-hmm. Without having to use your phone. Um, you know, that was a, a big part of that kind of core infrastructure is how do we make this the actual device where you don't have that Wahoo paradigm where you have to stop, pull out your phone to set it up, change the data screens, get those profile lo- uh, layouts, send a route to it, those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it fundamentally is built quite differently to accomplish that mm-hmm. uh that work. So those are all things you can do in the unit. You don't have to take out the phone at all. Yeah. I mean, super, super powerful stuff, right? One of our great things on this maps and map and navigation uh, interface is you can drop a pin, right? Without taking out your phone, you can scroll around on the map on the head unit itself, see an area that's interesting to you, drop a pin and Karoo we'll instantly will take you there, cool. right? You don't have to plan a route ahead yeah. of time. On the fly, you can do all of this. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to get off your bike, yeah. you know? Yeah, I don't plan anything ever, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that I, I was struck by with, with the Karoo too when I got it was, oh boy, here we go with another touchscreen, uh, which seemed to never work on GPS units. Why is it so difficult to make a good touchscreen, and what have you guys done differently? Because the Karoo 2 actually does work pretty well. Um, I, I'm still in the process of testing, but uh, my, you know, early results are pretty darn good, uh, especially compared to units I've used in the past. What are you guys doing differently, and why is it so difficult to make a touchscreen on a GPS head unit that actually works? <laughs> yeah, so I would, you know, I would have to say this is a huge testament to our software and hardware uh, engineering teams, right? Mm-hmm. So. Again, cell phone-based technology. That screen technology we use, uh, it is super color-rich. We can render colors like red and green, colors that Garmin and Wahoo can't render, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have a full color spectrum. We have great contrast ratio. We have great pixel density. All of these things, what they allow us to do is run really powerful processor and run really, you know, I guess, uh, intense kind of interactions and in- intense processes in the background, right? So what's kind of on the baseline operating system underlying all of that, right? There's Android, right? And Android opens up the world for you to do a lot of things, mm-hmm. right? And especially when you're talking about touchscreen interfaces and now delivering really compelling, precise, intuitive user experiences, mm-hmm. right? There's a there's a tech stack there on that software side that's facilitating our ability to leverage uh, those services to write. Like, I think it's incredible that you can have that 3.2-inch screen and it has a usable keyboard, mm. right? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so we we focus on that a lot. But one thing that, again, sets Karutu apart that we've been really focused on is, you know, touch screens alone in the elements, you know, as you're sweating, as it's sunny, as it's raining, you know, you're getting muddy potentially uh, on trails and things like that. Um, A touch screen alone won't cut it, right? And those environmental kind of elements that get in the way of that and, you know, put you on a different screen or pause your ride without you knowing. So a big challenge on our software kind of design and engineering and product teams is you know, their charter is everything that you can do on the touchscreen, you have to be able to do with hardware buttons. Mm-hmm. And that is not something to take lightly. Like setting, you know, UI patterns that are both touchscreen and hardware capable 
that's a that's a huge thinking exercise, right? And a huge design and, and user experience exercise that those teams are constantly working through every day. And when mm-hmm. you think about new product development, you know, those are things we have to take into consideration too, right? As soon as you add a fifth hardware button or a sixth hardware button, you've got to do a whole lot of rework, right? Yeah, because yeah. you've changed the paradigm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that uh, Carew also does differently, and, and this may... <laughs> to our listeners, don't freak out. But there is a new mount uh, that is not a Garmin-style mount. Why do that? Why choose to do that? And, you know, because I think that is a sort of a sticky point for a lot of people. Oh, now I got to get another mount. And, you know, is this one going to be stable? And I just like my previous one. Um, Why make a new mount? And what have you done to also make it backwards compatible? Yeah, so great questions. Um, You know, when you're making a device that is revolutionary and completely different and you're getting out of industry standards to do that, you know, I, definitely the challenge to the team is we don't want to just have parity with our competitors. Like we want to push ourselves further. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there was a lot um, in a lot of that research and investigation. There were a lot of shortcomings of the standard mounts that are out there. Right. And I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, that's not the the glamorous, you know, uh, thing that people are paying attention to a lot of the time. Um, so it's, if it's not broke or people put up with it, why fix it? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, our teams, uh, and our business really don't operate that way. So a lot of why we built that it is actually lighter. Um, it, it's more secure kind of mounting system, uh, which is really important. Uh, we were able to get the Karoo a lot closer to the handlebars, which for the scope of the project and the target audience we were going for at the time, that was really the, I guess, the key requirements of the project, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what you know, we do know is that yes, people, especially people that are looking at GPS head units, tend to have more than one bike. Uh, they're going to need more than one mount. So we do ship that quarter turn Garmin adapter, or obviously that works with Wahoo too. If you actually physically <laughs> turn flip the it, yeah, yeah. flip the <laughs> flip the uh, uh, adapter mount, but. So that is a that is something we offer as well. So you do get that backward compatibility with mm-hmm. other standard modes. Mm-hmm. So really, the short answer is you know going beyond what we already have and, and working within somebody else's parameters. Let's do something better. Um, yeah, let's do something better, and let's you know I think innovation in any industry helps everyone kind of raise the bar, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, hey, you know, it's it's not just to benefit us ultimately, like. Mm-hmm everyone in the space should be pushing to deliver better experiences for the customers, sure. right? And that's and that's where the original Garmin mount came from, right? Was at the time Garmin was innovating a better way to mount your computer. So I think that stands to reason that we shouldn't be limited by that anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then when we get back we're going to talk deep nerdery. We're going to <laughs> we're going to go into GPS and maps because uh, I have I have questions uh, about how this all works. Uh, I just assume it's magic, uh, but you're going to tell me differently. I'm going to tell you it's magic. (laughs) Okay, good. Even better. (laughs) We'll be right back. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as six pounds per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinawi, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. 
Welcome back to the Ruler Magazine Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari. I am on the road here in Austin, Texas. Uh, more specifically, I am in Jess Brown's living room. <laughs> Thank you for, for having me uh, while I'm sweating off 12 pounds in the humidity. Um, Jess, you, you seem to know a thing or two about the Hammerhead. Uh, <laughs> as the the direct the vice president of, of uh, product at Hammerhead. Um, I want to know, you know, I, like most cyclists who have been in the sport for any period of time, have used a, new, a number of, of head units um, and have experienced the, the moment where the navigation is just not working and uh, it's about to take a dip in, a, in the local river because you're so frustrated. Why is it so hard to make a, a GPS head unit uh, with maps that, that work and can keep up with you? Uh, and we see it in cars. I mean, cars have GPS units that are quicker, that are, you know, more user-friendly. Why is it so hard with, with cycling head units? You know, a lot of it is power, right? You're limited by size mm-hmm. and weight, right? If you, which are things cyclists have always cared about mm-hmm. so deeply, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, a, a great screen that can communicate a lot of information um, and the processing power to do that is going to have, it's going to need a better power source. It's sure. going to need a bigger battery. Uh, a bigger battery means a heavier unit, right? So there's all these compounding kind of factors there. So, but a lot of, uh, I would say what drives most of that is yes, uh, battery power and processing power. Um, you know, in cars and things like that, you're, you know, you've, you've got that engine or even if it's an electric car, right? You've mm-hmm. got big batteries to help power that experience. Um, that's part of that big challenge. Uh, and then I would say other kind of parts of that are really the the satellites, right? And the antennas that you're using um, to actually get those GPS coordinates. How accurate do you need to get, right? And again, that's going to draw power. Like, do you need to be accurate to, you know, five to 10 meters? Or do you need to be accurate to 20 meters, yeah. right? Um, all of those different, you know, all of those factors really result in the experience you have right all the way from that hardware and those decisions you make early on in those projects then all the way into well how are we going to implement this and make people be able to interact with it right um you know i i definitely remember in my experiences of using other kind of head units even 10 years ago right my biggest frustration was you leave the door you're somewhere new right uh traveling the world riding your bike you think it's a dream and you've got the route but you cannot for the life of you figure out, am I supposed to go clockwise or counterclockwise? Am I turning <laughs> yeah. left or right? You know, so it's, um, you know, being able to the zoom levels of yeah. things, right? Like that's one of the things that uh, I think we've done really well on our product. Like you can really zoom in there, be really clear with those chevrons like, hey, this is the way you're supposed to start this ride, yeah. you know, um, or if you want to make a different choice, that's fine. Like we again, I I think routing and maps and navigation are one thing but a thing i think that we're really trying to change the course of uh the trajectory of kind of the industry and just how people use gps in their experiences we don't want to again get in the way of the ride right so what we've been learning in the last kind of year through product analytics is that a lot of people you know just go out and ride what they know. Yeah. They ride the roads they know. Now that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, they aren't open to finding new things, but they don't plan a route in advance, right? right? And we were building all of these key features and core functionality to really serve people in maps and, and routing, right? Like you planned to do this route on Sunday and you went and built it on on the website. Now you can go do that. And we serve that up, experience up really well. 
we built kind of our upcoming elevation, our, our technology called Climber, and uh, you know that that feature around hey you can you can know the upcoming grade on a on a hill in front of you uh, or a mountain climb um, if you have a route programmed. But we saw that most rides, I mean, only 12% of rides were having routes right. Right, programmed. So mm-hmm. how do you bring a, such a compelling feature to people all the time? How do you help people find something interesting near them? Maybe two roads over that they planned to do their ride on. Let's encourage them to go find that climb. Let's encourage them to go find that bike path. Let's, mm. let's help them you know, feel like they can explore, but also at a moment's notice, snap back to the pre-programmed route or what makes them comfortable. Sure. That's the space that we're really kind of playing in and exploring and really pushing into, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you help people? The, the security and stability or I guess safety features of knowing where you're going or having something tell you where you're going is one thing, but it can sort of suck the fun out of a ride, yeah, right? And sure. why you're out on a bike in the first place. Mm-hmm. So where do we find that sweet spot? How do we help people just explore more, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then also feel like, hey, we can also get you back to where you wanted to go specifically yeah. before you set out. Right, you know? right. Yeah, and I, you know, the, I think more often for me is I'll get out on a ride and be like, oh, shoot, I want to actually go back over, you know, the next town over, or I got to go pick up a buddy at his house. How do I get there from here? I have no idea, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the you know, again, like you drop a pin on Carew's, uh, right on the screen on Carew, don't have to pull out your phone, and like, it'll, it'll route you there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we're using kind of those inputs, again, things that make it hard, like, well, we want to take you on a street that we know and our algorithms are saying is more safe for cyclists, mm-hmm. right? We're, we want to get you to a path. We don't want to take you on the, we've all done it. We've been somewhere new. We try to get somewhere and we end up on like an interstate yeah, right. and it's terrifying <laughs> and like cars are going 95 and you want it to be over, yeah, right? Yeah. So we, we do really, really challenge ourselves to prevent those types of things from happening because mm-hmm. that does negatively impact your ride, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, I say it often that a lot of what we do doesn't have a, you know, we're winning if it's kind of invisible, which is a little bit counterintuitive, right? right, But if you don't even notice, like, because we're not taking away from your ride, you're not frustrated with us or a way we're routing you, that's winning, right? But how do you... How do you communicate to others, right? Like, well, then we're doing our job. Sure, sure. It's a a fun... Yeah, yeah. It's a fun challenge. I, I know I said I was done talking about the hardware, but I actually have one more question because I think, you know, what, what sparked my interest about what you were just saying was, um, you know, all the antennas and everything and, and the battery life and the battery power makes a bigger unit. And the original crew, or the, I guess I should say the previous crew, yeah. uh, was a much bigger unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys have pared it down. I mean, it looks like it's been cut in half. How did you do that without sacrificing the functionality? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of that was just more sophistication, right? Um, more investment uh, into the business, right? So that was all, you know, Carew One was done absolutely in a shoestring budget, uh, seed, you know, seed round funded kind of startup, uh, kind of in an accelerator program with RGA there in New York City. Uh, and then fast forward to, you know, we became a real business, right? Uh, took on that that uh, Series A investment, uh, had our investor had investors uh and really had that influx of cash to really look at our product development and what we wanted to achieve we Mm. knew what we had the what what didn't make it into 
to Carew One, right? For all of those factors, right? Either financing or timelines or all, all of the factors that businesses face, right? And we knew we wanted to address them in Carew Two. Um, so a lot of that was hiring up the talent and the people that could actually build that hardware, sure. understand that space, yeah. you know, um, the maturity of your teams make, uh, makes a big difference. Well, that's why I didn't get a phone call. I'm so immature. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm here, I know. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, back to, sorry to keep flip flopping back, but, uh, you know, back to the, the user experience and the navigation, uh, angle, um, you mentioned earlier the the climber feature, which I think is super cool, and I don't want to gloss over that. I think we kind of just we we talked a little bit about it, but tell me specifically um, what this is because I find this to be one of the more uh, intriguing uh, aspects of the Karoo too, and I haven't used it yet, uh, but I I'm looking forward to it. Well, you are in for a treat when you do. Um, so I think this is a great story, and why I really like to tell this story and share it is because it is a, I mean, it is a clear example of how our teams operate how we really really prioritize being rider inspired so our you know product our software kind of product and design teams they are out every week talking to riders Mm -hmm. that is their charter right we are rider first in everything we do we absolutely are uncovering what their problems are and we are figuring out what's the best way to solve these things so how Climber came about is, you know, we we started selling, kind of went to market last year, January, February, uh, Karoo 2 hit the shelves. It didn't have an upcoming elevation or a Climber uh, feature in it, right? So it had, you know, obviously we know grade and we know your ascent uh, on a ride. But, you know, we luckily enough, and it's incredible to think about this too, new product in market, you are in the Grand Tour. You are on the handlebars of now called Israeli Premier Tech, right? Mm-hmm. Our pro team. You've got Mike Woods, you've got uh, Chris Froome, uh, Alex Dowsett, you've got this heavy hitter pro cyclists taking a risk with your brand new, new to market product. Um, talk about pressure. <laughs> so, but, but really great, right? Like get on the ground, talk to those guys. Like actually say, how do we make this product work for you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got a young kind of really hungry, talented uh, product team and design team and engineering team. And so getting them out on the ground, like giving them that experience of what does a pro cyclist need? Um, and we would, we heard great things like great insight of, Hey, if my data is not accurate, like if my power, uh, recording of the fit file is off by, you know, even one watt over a certain average, like that's how I negotiate my salary. <laughs> like, think about that. Mm-hmm. This is someone's livelihood. Yeah. This isn't just fun like chasing a Strava live segment right right. so one thing that you know Mike Woods especially and Chris Froome were saying to us is you know for me why I ride with the map and the head unit is I can see the road ahead of me right knowing where there's a sharp turn and a descent or knowing you know if if I just hold on and push the pace on this climb it's going to get real steep for the next 700 meters and I've got a chance to get a break, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be able to know that and you guys can show me that information. So challenge the team. We went ahead. Uh, we started chatting with them, I think about May of last year. We brought that feature to market right before the Tour de France because mm. it's what they needed for the tour, yeah, right? So yeah. awesome. Huge, great effort by the entire team. Not and terrifying at all for you guys. <laughs> you know, I mean... It's, it's coming from the software world. Like that's one of the things I love about software is like just rapidly delivering value, yeah. right? Find an idea, 
prove its business worth, yes, and its value, but if you can deliver that value, not wait a year or for the next hardware unit, don't, right? So here we are, we release this in July, they use in the tour, they've got nothing but great things to say, but we're not done. We wanna challenge ourselves to push that feature, right? So we continued to work on it. We started, we added incrementally every two weeks some more features. Now you can see a full list of climbs, you know, you're gonna do 19 climbs in this route, tap on each one, see that elevation profile, see the distance to the top, see the average grade. You know, so we kept pushing that feature forward and kept doing research, kept talking to people. Uh, and one thing we, that just kept coming up is, I love this feature, but it, it's really only available when I go out to a new place or I, I, you know, if I join the group ride, I'm just following the guy ahead of me. I don't program a route. I wish right. I could see Climber. Now that is a huge engineering, like, I mean, that's a big problem to solve, mm -hmm. right? How do you anticipate what someone's going to do? A human is going to do, right? So that's what we tasked the team with. Mm -hmm. How could we bring this technology possibly to people without a route? Mm -hmm. We don't know where they're going. They're human beings, right? right? So massive, massive effort and testament to our engineering team here yeah. and, and how they were able to pull it off. So yeah. we... We built a technology called Predictive Path. And what Predictive Path, you know, does at a high level is it is anticipating your most likely point of travel, right? Mm -hmm. Direction of travel. So you could be going up a climb and to some people, you know, the climb goes, oh, I don't know, a mile this way. Then you got to take a left and you got to take a right. You know, climber is going to anticipate that path of travel and like give you all of that climb information based on our best guess of where you're going, mm -hmm. right? So... Sure, we're going to be wrong sometimes. Sure. You might think that the climb, to you in your mind, the climb is turning left and to us it's turning right. But when you do turn left, we will recalculate and, and get you back on track. But I mean, what more can you ask for? You're a human being. You're going to make you're going to make decisions. You know that we can sure. anticipate. But we're just trying to really give you information when it's contextually relevant to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the game changer there, mm -hmm. right? Like. Bring the fun back to cycling. Yeah. Don't make someone have to plan every single thing. Let's just give you the information in the context of your ride. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and in that vein, I mean, that that just means that there's so many uh, updates that you guys have to push out to, to sort of refine, you know, all of the features that you are trying to make life easier for the cyclist. That means that you have to blast out all these updates to every unit out there. And and one of the things that I see already is that I get an email every two weeks or so that's update the, the computer. And I think, you know, that can go to one of two ways for consumers. One is, oh, they're using me as the guinea pig and I'm going to have to sit through all these iterations that don't work. Uh, but the other is that um, if there's something wrong, it's not going to be wrong for very long. Um, what, what was the discussion like in that regard? And, and, and what can people expect from those updates every two weeks? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a big thing that I try to encourage, and, and I think all of our, our leaders uh, and teams at Hammerhead try to encourage, is rapidly delivering value, right? Um, don't be afraid to fail, right? You've got to try and get to the wrong thing first to get to the right thing sooner. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like that culture, and I really like that attitude, where it's, you know, you, you invest once in a, in a Karoo 2, and if you bought Karoo 2 last February, and you're looking at that same Karoo that you bought for $400 or $399 to be specific <laughs> um, a year ago, it is a completely different product today. Um, you don't have to do those software updates every two weeks. We really do encourage you because what we are doing is saying, look, we're not going to say, Climber, for example, this is a really great, compelling project or product. 
let's make it perfect. It's going to take nine months to make it perfect or our definition of done. Mm -hmm. We're going to wait and hold all of it back so you can't get value until nine months from now. And then maybe at nine months, we'll decide, let's just hold this for the next hardware version, right? Mm -hmm. What is that doing for the consumer? Nothing, right? So we are, you know, it's a really big effort to slice like a, a project. You think of Climber is a great example. How can we release pieces of that every two weeks in a way that build upon each other? Mm -hmm. That's a really big challenge for software teams. Um, I think that's part of what, you know, my software experience brings to Hammerhead is that is how the software and tech industry works, right? right? It is get value out the door as soon as possible and then refine it. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, my previous experience in the bike industry and manufactured goods is prototype prototype test 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 before you get to tooling and before you make that investment we're doing it the opposite order Mm -hmm. right um and it can be shocking and disorienting if you're not used to it but i think it's only going to get more pervasive and honestly i think businesses will only be successful if they figure that out and that's an interesting angle i mean given that you came from the tech world into the bike industry the bike industry has a lot to learn from those other successful industries. And, and, and historically, the bike industry maybe hasn't done such a great job of that. So it's an interesting take to have you come in from the outside and, and show the iterative process in real time. I mean, we see this in every other tech world, like your phone, your phone updates all the time, right? It's the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and it's not that unknown of a business model. Right. right. Um right. And again, yeah, I mean, I, I worked at Trek uh, for many years, and that's where I fell in love with working in this industry. Mm-hmm. I by no means wanted to leave the industry. I got really excited about the opportunities of what mobile devices were, were going to bring to consumers, mm-hmm. right? And I saw this opportunity. I was very young in my career. It was very early. We're talking the first iPhone here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I, I understand it why, you know, maybe Trek was not ready to really give that type of autonomy and trust and budget to to a young woman making her way in the industry mm-hmm. but i also fundamentally knew i i knew how to build kind of hardware products i knew the supply chain development process i had no idea how to build software sure. products let alone businesses so i had to leave to go learn that knowledge it was always my intention was to always come back and say i'm not just going to tell you these grand stories of what you need to do I'm going to show you exactly how to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to execute, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we're doing at Hammerhead. And I'm super grateful and excited to be there and be championing that kind of, that tenacity and that, that let's execute, right? Yeah. Like I've got, I've, I've got a plan. I've lived the life. I've now done it. Um, let's do it in the cycling industry. Yeah. It's yeah. really exciting. I, I I have the Carew 2, I've had the Carew 1, and I've had the original Hammerhead. This is going to be a, an interesting start-to-finish story for me. I'm excited to use it. Um, thanks for your for your time and for your living room today, by the way. Um, Great to have you. Yeah, and if, if you're listening, you can, you can check out Hammerhead at hammerhead.io. Where can they find Hammerhead folks on social media? On social media, yeah. So I think we have uh, Instagram. We have Hammerhead Rides at Hammerhead Rides uh, is a is a great place to follow us. That's where most of our activity is, um, and I would encourage everyone to kind of follow us there. 
Uh, you'll find out about our software uh, updates, release updates that you said come out every two weeks uh, through that channel as well. Um, and I think we, you know, we have a couple Facebook groups, the same thing. You can kind of search for Hammerhead, uh, Hammerhead Rides, hammerhead.io, and it'll link you to all of our social media channels. Beautiful, beautiful. And if you have questions for me, uh, you can reach out at SlowGuyFastRide on Twitter, at SlowGuy on the Fast Ride and Instagram. I get extra letters over at Instagram. Uh, <laughs> I'm always happy to pester Jess more. I might leave her living room, but I can still email her. I might stay here. I don't know. This is a nice house. <laughs> uh, but if you have questions, please do feel free to reach out to me. You can, of course, reach out to at Ruler Magazine on all social media channels if you have questions about the Hammerhead, about the Karoo 2, or anything else we have talked about today. Jess, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure. And thank you all for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode of the Ruler Magazine Tech Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.